Hello, you're listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded, ancestral, and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Saida Unju, and this is a wonderful day because today I'm recording this, aka Tuesday, April 27th, is the last day of my undergraduate degree. I had my last final today, which was Portuguese 102 for anyone wondering. And I'm done with university. You can officially call me a psychologist now. I majored in psychology. I am not a licensed therapist. Those are different things. I need a master's for that, which I am not doing. But I am a psychologist now and or a psychotherapist, um, apparently. So yeah. Um, that's fun. That's some great news. And another great news is that we have a wonderful show for you today. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off with a review of Red Snow by Henry. And then we're going to go into a little quick Adam PSA break. Um, as you all know, our Adam PSA breaks are... (laughs) breaks are really short so don't go anywhere and then we have an interview by our new correspondent Dion they had an interview with Derek Chan um, so we will be playing that afterwards again a quick Adam PSA break but again don't go anywhere because we're gonna be right back with Dion's review of the essentials by the Colch, presented by the Colch. Um, we did, so if you're wondering, we did a Craigslist Cantata that was presented by the Colch and it was amazing. So like, I'm sure this is going to be amazing too. I'm excited to hear the review. And afterwards, I have my review, not a review. Oh my God. I have my interview with Jacob and Kira. Um, and it's going to be wonderful. Oh my God. I Can you tell I'm happy? <laughs> I feel like I just want to sing and dance and I just I have so much energy. Okay, let me take a quick little detour, <laughs> go on a tangent about something completely unrelated yet again. Are we surprised? No. Um, <laughs> so what happened is today I woke up at 9.30 a.m., which is what I usually don't do because I go to sleep at 6.30 a.m. and or 7 a.m., <laughs> So I'm usually, I'll be waking up at noon or 1 p.m. But anyways, that's not the point. So I wake up at night. Oh, I'm sorry. I hit my microphone. By the way, I'm holding my microphone today because I broke it yet again. I broke the stand. So if you're hearing any weird noises, I sincerely apologize. But anyways, (laughs) so um, I drove my friend to get tested for COVID to get his PCR test because he's flying to New York in two days. He's from New York. 
And I had to wake up at 9.30 for that because at noon I have my final. Um, and he was kind enough to let me stay at his place in New York when I went to New York. So I'm like, you know what? Driving you to get COVID tested is the least I can do, which is what I did. Um, So I woke up at 9.30 and then I couldn't sleep last night because my sleep schedule, I'm pretty much nocturnal. <laughs> So I, like, of course I couldn't fall asleep at 10 p.m. I couldn't sleep until like 5 a.m. So I only slept for four hours. Anyways, um, and then before my exam starts at noon, I'm like, you know what? I didn't study for this like at all, but it should be fine. It's a language course. I speak many languages not to brag no I'm not bragging um and like learning languages I love them and it's very easy for me so it should be easy enough <laughs> lo and behold there was a writing question that no one was expecting and none of us could finish the exam on time literally right after it ended everyone was on the group chat just being like what the heck was that that was so long why did we have a writing question and so many reading questions and blah 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 and um but you know what I couldn't care less because I'm done. As soon as that clock hit 1.20 p.m. and my exam was submitted, I was done. <laughs> and I've been so energetic. You can't tell that I've slept only four hours. I have so much energy in me. I haven't been this happy in this past year. Sincerely, since COVID started, I don't think I've been this happy. And I'm so happy. Um... But anyways, that's no <laughs> That's not what we're here for. We're here for some arts and culture which we're here to provide for you. Anyways, so let me <laughs> remind you of the program and then we'll get right into it. I apologize for that tangent I had right there. Um so, we're going to start with Henry's review of Red Snow. Um quick Adam PSA break continue with Dion's interview with Derek Chan, quick Adam PSA break, continue with Dion's review of The Essentials, and then my interview with Jacob and Kira. Just an FYI, I will not be popping back in and out in between these things, so you're just gonna hear them back to back, and then I will, I'll talk to you right at the end as we're closing this, closing this one off, shall we? And I have some updates and some fun news at the end, so stay tuned to hear what those are, and now let's get on with the show, shall we? Enjoy! Good afternoon, everybody. This is Henry Conks here to bring you another review for the Arts Report on CITR. Recently, I watched a movie called Red Snow, released in 2019, which is written and directed by Mary Clements, a Canadian Matisse playwright, performer, director, producer, and screenwriter. Before I'd like to begin this review, I would like to say a trigger warning, as this movie deals deals with suicide as well as there is as there is graphic content throughout the film. Also, one thing I would like to note is the fact that this movie, one of the things that shines about this movie is its diverse cast, a Afghan and indigenous cast, as well as the number of languages spoken is unprecedented in the majority of indie films. Additionally, this film was actually exported to the US, which is something that is not very common, which is not very common for Canadian films. So, the story begin the story tells us about the main character of the story is Dylan, a member of the Gwinnett Nation who joins the Canadian military after his lover and cousin is taken away from him and kills herself. 
now he is in Afghanistan. He is ambushed by he is ambushed by a ta- by a Taliban group who is in, who takes him who then takes him captive. Throughout throughout the film, the themes of commonality are explored, especially the commonality between Dylan's home culture and the family that ends up res- and the family that ends up rescuing him out of this out of this situation. Now, one of the things I would like to mention about this movie is how much I love the sound design. The sound design of this film was impeccable, especially the use of the, especially the use of music, because the music in this case was very much based was very much based from the Gwinnish nation as well as Afghani culture. So. Throughout the film, there are moments of there are moments where writing is played on screen, explaining specific words very important to Gwinnish Nation's culture as well as Inuit culture. As as Dil- as Dylan's lover is a member of the as is is Inuit, whereas he is a part, member of Gwinnish Nation. So, throughout, so one of the one of the first things that occurs is the fact that the relationship between Dylan and Amon, Amon being the translator, is incredibly tense. As Amon is was a translator for the Canadian military and is indirectly the cause of the reason for Dylan's unit passing away, as well as him being captured. When he is captured, he is he is accosted by a man named Ramiz, who was a Taliban leader, who is who is convinced that he is a spy as he is unable to understand the writing in his in his in his book. Now the writing in Dylan's notebook is in fact the writing of his lover, written to him written written to him when they were together before they were caught together. Now throughout now throughout the film the idea the uh, many many snippets are many snippets come together. For example, Dylan's little brother Jojo is an is becomes an important character even though he may not be mentioned a lot his the concept of his 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 character becomes more prominent as the film goes through because many parallels are made between him and Amon's son, Tahir. Now, Tahir is a, is a Tahir is a prime example of how context shapes individuals. For instance, for instance, before Rami, Ramiz is shot by Dylan, he is being shaped in Ramiz's in, in Ramiz's uh, con- context. That is Tal- Taliban and Islamic uh, and Islamic fundamentalism. Something that is interesting is, for example, Amon's daughter, who Amon's daughter, who becomes a very important character later in the film, is actually an example of, of an exact is, is an example of some things that occur in Afghanistan as a result of the Taliban taking over. For instance, she's being educated, something that is very illegal currently in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. So, as the film progresses, there is a great there is a great deal of emphasis focusing on the where you come from and your cultures. For instance. When it is when it is when it has when it is known that that Dylan is actually a member of the First Nation, Ramiz goes on a tangent explaining how they've always wanted to be a member of cowboys and Indians. Now to Ramiz, uh, sorry to Dylan, this is obviously quite offensive, as Indians is not the right word to use when referring to First Nations in, to First Nations individuals. But one of the one of the, one of the things that become very important is the is the concept of snow. In this case, red snow. Well, red snow being the title of the film is also a focus about the idea of red of snow that brings new beginnings. Is this becomes this becomes apparent in the beginning of the film as well as the end of the film, effectively setting up some sort of frame narrative for which the for which the movie can follow. So, one of, one of the things that I really thoroughly enjoyed about this movie was the sound design, essentially especially the music, because the music in this film is based on on. On, indig- on indigenous music, as well as in some occasions, Afghani music, especially religious chanting. There is a scene. There is a scene in this film where Amon's family, as well as Dylan, are both praying at the same time, as well as Ramiz and, uh, and, and the other Taliban individuals. So throughout the throughout the film, 
throughout the film, a lot of parallel, a lot of parallels are made between both cultures in the sense they are they are both members fighting on their own. They are both members of a different group, and they are in the end all the same. Now, while this is uttered by Ramiz, which may not exactly bring a lot of merit to this idea, it is actually a, v- a very good point. As for example, in the beginning. Dylan is extremely mistrustful of Mon's family, calling him a traitor. Ramiz also calls him a traitor, being a traitor to not only to not only Afghani culture but also a traitor to the Canadians, as he betrayed them by translating for the Canadians, and also betrayed the Canadians by essentially ratting them out. Um, as the as the movie progresses, however, Dylan comes to terms, and in, in the sense, Dylan comes to terms with the fact that these people are as much of as much in the situ- are as much given from the situation that they are in. And are forced to act in a certain way, in the sense, and in the sense, in the sense that you are very much shaped on your shaped by your environment. Something that I found very interesting is the use of symbolic is the use of symbolic items. Something that can be uh, attributed to Mary Clement's experience as a playwright, in the sense where in plays, props have symbolic meaning. For instance, Dylan's notebook is incredibly important because in that notebook is his lover's writing. Another another. Another important object is her knife, as well as as a member of Dylan's squad who was who was killed has something around his neck, a very important a very important symbol in his culture. And so, something something that is very important, something that be, that becomes that comes over and over again in the film is the idea of how your culture and how your upbringing makes you think a certain way. And something, but something that, that something that is brought up, especially by Dylan, is the idea how extreme beliefs can change the perception of just about everything, and how extreme beliefs can cloud judgment. Um, and essentially, essentially, the idea, however, this idea of context being shaped is actually turned on its head roughly two thirds of the movie, as Amon's daughter actually saves Dylan from an interrogation interrogation scene where he is prob- where he is where he was likely going to be executed on a live feed. An interesting, an interesting line is uttered roughly two thirds of the film as well. The idea of when you are a child, a stick is a gun, and when you are an adult, the choice becomes difficult, which is spoken by Amon when referring to to Tahir, who is actually who Dylan calls Jojo for the rest of the film, and how and how a lot of the time your your situation really defines what you can and cannot do. What is very what is what I what I one of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed about the movie is the pacing. The pacing of the movie was quite slow, but that was but that actually came to its benefit because that enabled myself, the viewer, to really think of the relationships between the characters. And this helped me actually notice a couple of very important details. For instance, there is an there is an idea which of the word I forget as I do not I do not speak uh, Gwinnich, but the idea of crazed lovers leave imprints in the snow, and it's especially apparent in the beginning of the movie when Dylan and his lover are separated. There are imprints in the, there are imprints in the snow near the end of the movie. Dylan has developed a relationship with, with with Amon's daughter, and the night after they stay for camp, there are imprints in the dirt, which shows that a relationship has formed between the two. Now there are a couple. While I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, there are a couple things that that I found confusing at times. For example. Near the ending, when they are about to cross into Pakistan, um, Amon steps on a landmine, and this is the climb, and this is essentially the climax of the film. As as he steps on a landmine, he knows he is sure to die. A snowstorm rolls in, and another Taliban leader, and they effectively make it out alive. However, the transition from that to the ending, I was unsure whether Amon made it out alive because he, you know, he appears again in, in the ending, but it is pretty clear that he stepped on a landmine. However, this movie, this movie, if you can find it online. 
I thoroughly recommend you watch it because while it is a slow burn of a movie, it pays off because you learn a lot about these characters, their relationships, where they're from, how important that is to them, and essentially how and especially how important that is nowadays in our multi-ethnic diverse world. Um in our multi-ethnic diverse world. A lot of a lot of things happen in this movie that really make you think essentially make you think about who you are and how much commonality there is between all of us. For, exa- for example, even though Dylan is a member of the Gwinnich Nation, by the end of it, Tahir says, he is, Tahir says he a, he's a part of the Gwinnich, he is a part of the Gwinnich Nation when, when referring to a Taliban leader, effectively taking on the name, the title, of, of Dylan's culture, showing that between the two of them, they're fundamentally the exact they are fundamentally the same people with different beliefs and different customs. I hope you enjoyed this review and have a nice day. My name is David Scott. I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. FM Vancouver Reloaded, playing your favorite tunes and mouth-humping your ear holes full of voice talk. Yeah, we do that. Hello everyone, this is Dion, and today I will be speaking with Theric Chan, a playwright and also the co-founder of Rice and Beans Theatre. His newest project, Yellow Objects, is available as a digital experience on the Rice and Beans Theater website and also as an on-site exhibition at the Fire Hall Arts Center starting on May 11th. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to talk with me about uh, Yellow Objects. I'm really glad to have this opportunity. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for for, for covering this project. It's, as you know, it, it, it's very, very close to my heart. Yeah, so I guess I'll begin by asking you. I've you know played the like the online exp- the first experience with uh, Sandra Wan the, and I just the first thing I noticed was how on brand the Asian mom dialogue is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, some of it is definitely drawn from personal experience of a very caring but but very very forward. Uh, apparent. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, like, as a playwright, having to switch to this kind of um, RPG game style instead of like a theater, um, what was that like for you? It it was it was a it was it was quite fun, uh, uh, but also it was a bit of a both a bit of a learning curve because I do need to tailor my writing to a different different genre uh, almost because uh, uh, there, there, there are things there are dialogues that work on stage with live actors that just don't work if you're reading it on your screen or, or playing through it as the character yourself so it took me a bit of learning to to edit my text on that front but then on the other hand I've, I'm 
I'm uh, pretty into video games in my spare time uh, since you know since when I was a kid. So it it's also finally a bit of a uh, a chance for me to to make something to to borrow from from such an such an important part of my life into my work. So it was a it was it was. It was a learning experience, but also fun to do. Right, and I was curious. Uh, I read that you started Yellow Objects around 2019, but so much has happened to Hong Kong since then. <laughs> like, how how fast can you write to adapt your script and everything? How did you do it? Oh, <laughs> that's a, that's a question that I I've asked myself many many times, and and I've asked my mentors. My friends, so many times since 2019, how fast can I write? How fast do I have to write? And and as some, I, I had I had many many days and weeks and months just sitting at my desk, sitting in my room, sitting anywhere, just like head in my hands, thinking, oh geez, this is happening so fast, and it's so much worse than than we all have feared. How am I ever going to catch up? And and at some point. Somebody, somebody, kind of just sat me down and and go, hey Derek, this is not the last play or project or exhibition that you you have to write about Hong Kong about about any of this. Mm-hmm. So you need to figure out when this particular story ends. When in the uh, within within the movement does this story end, and then. And I just cap it there. Just put in, put a, put a pause on there. Just wrap the story up, and then, and then hold everything else that's been going on in, in in your heart and in your mind, and then and then use that to propel you to the next project. So so since then, I've I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I can never catch up with time. That's just. <laughs> Simple as that, right? I'm just one person, uh, so so yeah. A lot of the a lot of the events that inspired certain scenes and sections in Yellow Objects are largely within 2019, 2020. I'd say like mid 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and I was curious. The game actually starts in the future in 2050. What what was the reasoning behind that decision? I set the game in in 2050, and and quite a large portion of the story takes place in 2050 in the future in an imaginary uh, in an imaginary future. Um, I started doing that to give myself. A little more creative room mm-hmm. to express express perhaps what I fear would happen to Hong Kong eventually, and and of course as things unfolded, um, a lot of those fears kind of came true um, a lot earlier than I than I thought it would, um, mm-hmm. which is which is very unfortunate. But but setting it in the future kind of gave me a little bit of room to. To imagine uh, what what could happen if we don't if we don't keep keep taking action, keep the story alive, keep our memories alive. Um, 
so that's 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 how it how it happened yeah and um i was wondering like with the you know unfortunate new national security law like the fact that you could have only conceived uh, this project yellow objects like from a distance you know in canada like how does that make you feel that you, you could have only written about this sh- this play now you know as from a distance i angry yeah at first uh when i when i when I first heard about and read the full text of the national security law back in uh, June, July, mm-hmm. um, when it when it took effect, and and as I read read on the text, I felt I felt violated. I felt I felt I felt sad. I felt betrayed. Utterly, utterly betrayed mm-hmm. by. By, by the government, by, by, by both the Hong Kong and Chinese government. I, I mean, as if, as if I didn't feel that back in 2019, but even more so, even more so, uh, blatantly, blatantly so. They're they're taking, taking our freedom, taking our rights away, um, and and of course, all those all those uh, sections about foreign individuals and organizations not being exempt from the national security law. It, it, as much as I hate to admit it sometimes, it scared me. Mm-hmm. It scared me. Um, uh, and, and of course, uh, my, my collaborators as well. That's why, that's why what, 10, 12 people on the team are working anonymously or under a pseudonym uh, in fear of Political retaliation because most of them have very close ties to professionally and and personally close ties to Hong Kong and and the area nearby. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I went through a whole series of emotions from from anger to to grief to fear. Right. Well, if there's so much, you know, um, fear involved with creating yellow objects, what what do you think? Why why did you do it still? I felt the need to do something. This was back in, oh, you know, after after 2014. But uh, this this really started in. 2019. Mm-hmm. I felt the need to do something as as somebody who was born and raised in Hong Kong, and and, and as somebody who was half a world away. I felt a burning need to do something for my home. And I remember at the time I was talking to a friend and mentor of mine, and saying, "Oh, I really feel like I should go back to Hong Kong and, and just drop all my work right now, go back to Hong Kong and do something." you know, whatever it is. And and basically they said, well, Derek, are you just going back for, what, one week, two weeks, a month? What's, why? Are you just checking off a checklist in your head so you can say you have done it and come back to Canada? And, uh, mm. Because otherwise, why 
why don't you use your training and, and expertise as an artist, as a storyteller, and use your organization's resources to keep the story going, to keep the memories going on this side of the world. Um, because eventually, you and I both know that, as, as we know now, you can't do that in Hong Kong someday. So, so, so that's, that's kind of how I ended up writing Yellow Objects as a, as a way to hopefully awareness, as a way to connect with, with our audience or visitors to the exhibition on an emotional level hope that we can spur them on to maybe even just educate themselves about what's going on in Hong Kong and the rest of China uh, and 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 maybe see if there's any way that they can do something about it even just reflect and, and question whether our government is doing enough or what they're doing about it mm-hmm yeah, um, the first digital experience is titled uh, Filial Duty, I think. And that is something I'm speaking myself as like an Asian Canadian that, you know, a lot of us feel. Um, but the way you're describing Hong Kong right now, do you feel like you have, you know, filial duty to Hong Kong? Definitely. I definitely feel that I have a sort of a filial duty to Hong Kong. You know, I, I have... I've never actually thought of it this way before. Before you mentioning it, yeah, that that's such a that's such a beautiful beautiful way of saying that. Yeah, because <laughs> the city the city raised me. Mm-hmm. The city raised me, so I do feel a duty to take some action to because now the city's unwell, city's in distress. Um, uh, even even if it's not during my lifetime. That I that I see Hong Kong become return to to the Hong Kong that I know and love. Um, maybe all I can do is to to keep keep the spirit going, mm-hmm. so that maybe the next generation or the one after or the one after can can keep keep going. Maybe someday we'll we'll see the finish line maybe someday right does it does it you know take an emotional toll on you to think about what happens to hong kong like was it difficult to produce yellow objects just personally or do you think it was it was a relief like a way of you know uh, you know trying to process what happened it, it is it is both it is both very mentally and emotionally taxing but but also it is a way to process what is going on in like in the sense that some days i i wake up and and think that there's it's all it's all screwed uh, that's the end of hong kong and and some days i wake up and and think that no oh, derek this is your job this is your work this is why you're doing what you do over here keep going keep doing your work uh, so it, it's a I, I still bounce back and forth between hope and helplessness a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one time I was uh, remotely uh, on 
on, on, on video uh, rehearsing a scene with a couple of the actors for, for, for a voice acting recording. And, and it was in the morning over here and, um, and, and we have budgeted about like four hours of rehearsal time, but after two and a half, three hours, um, all of us just kind of hit a point emotionally where, where we just basically all felt that can only sit with this material this closely emotionally for, for so long. We have, we have definitely hit our limit. Mm-hmm. And and even in like reviewing some some of some other design or voice acting material um, over the last month or so, it's definitely difficult uh, to to have that so forward in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. But but also, don't we all don't we all like have have something that is concerning us like that these days, you know, whether it's Hong Kong or, or the pandemic or, or, or the, or the genocide that's going on in China yeah. um, and, and, and everywhere else. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, it takes a toll, but it is, it is the work that, that we have to do. I, that, that at least I have to do, I suppose. Right. What do you think um, art has to offer, you know, in these times, given what happens to Hong Kong with the pandemic, everything? What does art and specifically theater, what does that have to offer? First, theater during the pandemic times, uh, as, as we have in the community, needs to move forward, needs to continue to innovate as an art form. Mm-hmm. How can we keep that liveness, that interactivity of storytelling in during these times? During these times where we absolutely have to follow regulations and keep everybody safe and healthy. So I think that's that's the first thing that theater needs to do um, uh, to move forward. And 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 coming from that, art and theater and storytelling has this immense power to to unite, to connect people on an emotional level, on a visceral level, uh, in addition to to on an intellectual level. But what I'm hoping to do is to connect with the audience emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean straight from me to them emotionally uh, so that so that it it, it it starts a fire in them whether it's a small little candlelight or a big bonfire in them so that they have this desire to to, to find out about the truth to follow the truth um, and and maybe maybe they'll do something Maybe they'll take action. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, I, we only have like a couple minutes left. I don't want to take up too much of mm-hmm. your time, but um, I guess I just would like to ask you: Do you want to share a favorite memory of yours of Hong Kong? Yeah, yeah. I have. Uh, 
I've, I've two, I've two. I've got one that, that uh, a, a family member recently reminded me of, which was uh, back when I was about three years old. Uh, I have a vague memory of this. It was uh, 1989, and um, uh, back in Hong Kong, my dad, uh, took me to Victoria Park in Hong Kong mm-hmm. on uh, June fourth. On June fourth. Oh the, wow, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, in Hong yeah. Kong. Uh, so it was one of my earliest memories, and and I only have like really big memories of maybe him getting into an argument with somebody in the MTR, like in the underground train. Um, so that was that was one of them, and uh, the. Yeah, I have, I don't know, I have so many of these, these good little memories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, finally, uh, what can people expect uh, with the live on-site uh, exhibition at the Fire Hall Theatre? Yeah, so the live on-site exhibition, uh, they can expect uh, a, almost a seance, almost a ritual uh, of objects, and recorded voices and projection digital elements, but no live bodies in the space except themselves, uh, masked distance. And and it's it's a tribute to those who who are gone, who can't be there anymore, to those who have been disappeared or worse over the last couple of years of the movement. Um, it's, it's as if the audience is listening to the spirits, to the memories, to the voices that are left behind by them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Derek, yes. for speaking with me. Thank you so much for covering this again. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was my conversation with Derek Chan, playwright of Yellow Objects and co-founder of the Rice and Beans Theater. Yellow Objects is currently available as a digital experience at riceandbeanstheater.com. And you can book tickets to the on-site exhibition, which will begin on May 11th at firehallartscenter.ca. <laughs> You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. We know how magnets work. If magic is all we've ever known, then it's easy to miss what really goes on. But I've seen miracles in every way, and I see miracles every day. To prevent the spread of coronavirus 2019, or COVID-19, social distancing and self-isolation measures have been recommended. What is social distancing? Social distancing includes, but is not limited to, discussing the possibility of working from home, avoiding visits to long-term care homes, retirement homes, supportive housing, hospices, and other congregate care settings unless the visit is absolutely essential avoiding non-essential trips in the community, keeping the windows down if you have to go into the community for an essential trip via taxi or rideshare, limiting or canceling group gatherings, spending time outside and in settings where people can maintain one to two meters or three to six feet of distance from each other. These guidelines are not meant to say you must stay in your home. You can still go outside and take a walk, go to the park or walk your dog. 
If you need groceries, go to the store. It is simply recommended that while outside, you make sure to avoid crowds and maintain a distance from those around you. Hey, hey, hey. I hope this mic is working. All right, let's talk about what is essential. So I'll be reviewing The Essentials, a production by The Colch and Soft Cedar. The overview of The Essentials is this multidisciplinary performance by the artist Kari Wendell McClelland and a really diverse cast of guests exploring the idea of what is essential through spoken word, poetry, and music performances. Going into the event, I didn't really know what to expect because looking at the cast list, the guest list, it was a really long list of scholars and poets and musicians, and I, I didn't know how it was going to fit together, but it tied together really nicely, actually. I watched The Essentials on all three days of its showtime, and uh, mainly the music performances varied, but the spoken word, because it's pre-recorded, were just the same. So The Essentials always starts with the live aspect of Kari and his band inside the York Theater at the Coach. You know, he gives a little spiel, he performs something maybe. And then we get launched into this pre-recorded stream of performances, spoken word, poetry, music, everything. On the first day when I was watching it, um, especially when we launched into like the spoken word aspect of just these two-minute or even shorter clips of different people talking about what is essential to them during these times, and because I'm quite uncultured, like, I didn't know a lot of the guests who were speaking, and at first I was a little bit confused as to, like, why why am I listening to these people? But then, like, as I kept coming back to what they were saying, and, you know, as <laughs> as their videos repeated every single day, I realized that the point of this event is not to answer the actual question, what is essential? Because everybody's answers were a little bit different. And it's not to, you know, offer a definitive guide on how we should how we should act in the future and how arts will save us all or anything like that. But just the very fact that there were such a diverse cast of people speaking on what is essential to them is an answer in its own way that, you know, what is essential is just being in the presence of other people and hearing their opinions and being in the community. The other really nice thing about The Essentials was that the artist Kari, uh, a lot of the musical performances were just him giving back to his community. So for example, there was a really, really beautiful performance by the St. James Music Academy Children Choir and Twin Bandit. And before they performed, like Kari gave a live spiel about how important the St. James Music Academy was to him and just the fact that he he was giving space to this organization that meant a lot to him before like was really was really nice to see I miss seeing that kind of stuff you know just people giving back to their community 
Yeah, another example is on the third day when the band Queer as Funk performed. They are really good, by the way. You should definitely check them out. Like, just yeah, the vocals, the beat, the bass guy at Queer as Funk, phenomenal. Chef's kiss. Um, but anyways, Sakari、um, explained that you know when he was first starting out as an artist in Vancouver, a lot of the his mentors. Were this community of queer women who raised him as an artist, basically, and the fact that he's paying homage to that and giving space for, you know, different kinds of bands and different kinds of musicians to perform was really great. And it was just, even though you know it was virtual, and I was just sitting there watching it on my laptop, like, I felt something, you know, that it hits different. Another cool thing is that. After the event, the coach has this thing called Gather Town, which is like a cooler version of a Zoom after party. So you're basically you look you go onto Gather Town and you're this like pixelated sprite character, and you get to walk through this gamified version of the coach lobby, which was really cool. It was like the coach lobby but pixel art, and you you can interact with other sprites who are obviously real people, and you can you know turn on your mic and your camera to. Interact with them. It's probably the closest thing to a re- real human interaction. And I, if I'm being honest here, I I went on Gather Town. I checked it out, and then as soon as other people began approaching me, I left because it was too real to the social interaction that I'm not ready for yet. So, anyways, overall, I think Kari Window McClellan should be really proud of himself for putting this together. And the coach also did a really phenomenal job of producing these pre-recorded elements with really great lighting, really good sound mixing, and yeah, overall it was a really great experience. And I thank Kari and the coach and Soft Cedar for reminding me what is essential. Hello, everyone. Today I have Jacob Gramet, the artistic manager of Musica Intima, and Kira Fons, one of the sopranos, with me. We will be talking about Musica Intima's upcoming online production, "The Beginning of the Song," which will be premiering on April thirtieth and will be available for two weeks. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Good. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you for having us. Of course, thank you for being here.、Um, could you tell us a little bit about what the beginning of the song entails? What can people expect from it? Yeah, so、um, basically, we're trying to take the model of a choral concert and sort of explode it into a digital format that's enjoyable to sit at home and watch. Right? You don't want to sit at home and watch an hour-long concert. You want to see. Various videos of people singing in different places that maybe tells you something extra about the music, and then we also have a wonderful、uh, spoken word artist from Toronto joining us, and she's going to be sort of responding to our sung texts with some spoken word pieces. So it's sort of a a choral variety show for a digital age or something like that.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it features the spoken word artist Jermaine Conji's work.、Um, how did the idea for this come about? <laughs> Um, well, Jermaine is a good friend of mine. We、uh, collaborated、um, on a show together about three years ago now,、mm-hmm. and、uh, from there have just kept in touch. And、uh, she is a poet as well as a spoken word artist. And、uh, so once in a while, she sends me poems, and I just thought I'd pass one on to Jake, the artistic manager here, and、uh, 
he really loved it and said, how can we collaborate with her? So yeah, that's how it all came to be. That's amazing. And so this, um, the beginning of the song isn't your first COVID production. Um, how, right? I'm correct in that? No, it's not. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> and so how has the experience of putting, producing work during a pandemic been, both from, Jacob, your point of view as a manager and Kira, your view as a performer? Well, it's about about four times as much work, I have to say. <laughs> um, and I think the biggest problem is that we, or the biggest challenge we face is that we can't plan very far in advance. Mm -hmm. So normally you would i was actually looking through old emails the other day and and i saw a schedule that had been sent out for the entire year with no changes to be made it was sent out in june the year before the season began and now i'm sending schedules out two three weeks before and then even that can all change if we have to cancel for some reason or we have to reschedule something so the logistical side is is a bit insane the artistic side just means a new set of of um just a new set of variables to work with so mm -hmm what can we portray best artistically given the restrictions we have to be far apart we have to be masked but what message can we send with that rather than is that an impediment to our message mm -hmm. okay kira what do you think yeah so it's definitely more of a challenge um as a singer to try to sing with a mask on it's mm -hmm. harder to breathe uh it's harder to kind of adjust how you're listening because you get a little bit more sound back from yourself and so mm. it's you have to work harder to hear other people as well yeah. um and it's hard just not being close together like part of the joy of singing is just being close with people and breathing together and uh and lifting up your voices together and so without that you definitely feel more vulnerable mm -hmm. um but we're finding ways to work through that. And I think we're actually improving as artists and as musicians more because of this, um, just improving our listening skills and our eye contact and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's okay. all right. And how has the process of creating the beginning of the song um, been compared to your past productions during COVID? It's a bit different because we wanted to make sure, like I said earlier, that we're not just producing a concert, right? Our mm -hmm. very first COVID production was really us singing in a room for an hour <laughs> with a camera shooting it, right? And yeah. so we realized pretty quickly that um, the production value just has to go up to, to make it more interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. And as Kira was saying, we're getting better as an ensemble, but I think we're also learning to deal with these restrictions better as well. So I think... Um, through the process, we're getting more used to singing in masks. We're getting more used to distance and protocols. It doesn't take us, you know, an hour to settle into singing together. It takes mm -hmm. us five minutes each rehearsal. And so that's been a nice improvement for this production. And I think that'll show in the in the recordings. And I think that'll show in the production as well. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And Kira, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Um, it's just nice to be able to collaborate with artists across the country. Like normally mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to do that when they're not in the same city with us. So yeah, this is just a really cool way to incorporate other art. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so my next question is kind of more for Kira. Um, so Musica Intima is a 12 voice conductorless ensemble. And I read that you also do musical theater, which involves working with a conductor. So I was wondering how is it working in an ensemble without a conductor um, in Musica Intima? Oh, interesting. Um, 
it's definitely a good challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that we really have to think about is cueing. And, um, when we don't have a conductor to watch for like cutoffs and for breaths and that kind of a thing, we usually have to have one piece leader Mm -hmm. who's taking care of those things and showing them with their folder or with their head when they're moving. Um, so to try to do that and sing at the same time is a really good challenge, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it's, it's also, it's nice because I feel like you have a bit more artistic license and a bit more freedom to do what you want. So you're not always um, having to follow the will of a conductor for every single piece. But um, a lot of the, well, all of the musicians, they take more ownership in the room of the music and of their own singing. And so I think that's really special. Yeah, sounds special. It is one of the really remarkable things I think about about Intima is that it is about 12 people's shared experience mm-hmm. and what those 12 artists can bring to the music rather than in less about being a conductor, but just having one person in charge who is the director, whose vision is is the artistic vision for anything. It really is as collaborative as possible in, in Intima, and I think that makes it quite unique as a singer and as an audience member. Yeah, I think so too. I personally... Um, have actually never been to a concert or a performance without a conductor. And so it's definitely very unique and also really interesting. Um, and so, Jacob, this question is <laughs> for you. Um, as the artistic manager, do you have any plans for what you might be doing next after the beginning of the song? Or I know that you mentioned schedules now, like change all the time so are you just kind of taking it day by day well we're, we're always taking it day by day um but we do we have one more production called morning walks that will be released digitally mid to end of may mm-hmm. um, which is a really cool cool piece as well and then for next season we sort of know that we're going to start with a production similar to the beginning of the song in terms of digital content produced in various venues various angles of, of pieces and then in may we're going to bring out an uh, Indigenous composer and music director from Toronto mm-hmm. named Andrew Balfour, and he's going to come out and curate a concert for, concert for us, which will be in person next May, we hope. I have no idea what's going to happen between September and May of next year, Yeah, but, but we've got our bookends, right? So Yeah, hopefully we will be able to do it with like the vaccinations and more and more people getting vaccinated. I'm really excited to be able to watch concerts and performances in person again so it's exciting to hear you say that you're planning on having in-person <laughs> performances by may 22 but you yes know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> have you guys finished filming for the beginning of the song yet or are you still in the process we're halfway halfway there mm-hmm. um we have our last filming on friday we were just filming yesterday in the in the chan center which, I mean, you're talking about live performance. It was a pretty odd experience to be singing in the Chan Center to a completely empty stage, you know? And yeah. it's beautiful empty sound. Audience. Empty audience, yeah. Yes. We were on stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a big stage, like a big hall too. So I can only mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. And um, so talking about the filming, it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I am, it's little um, different videos taken in different places right um so how is that gonna work could you just tell me a little bit more about that because um I feel like it would be really 
easy to just kind of have a choppy since they're filmed in mm. different places. So how does that all work? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I trust my filmmaker a lot. <laughs> um, and, and I think it is, it, it is going to have some sorts of, of elements of, okay, we were inside the Chan Center, now we're in a forest. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe going to feel a little, a little disjointed. But it's also sort of trying to speak to what we hear in the music and what we'd like to bring out of the music. So maybe One Piece is, is sort of supposed to be a disjointed response mm -hmm. from something else. And so that there's an artistic reason for why we want to change venue. Um, Okay. There, there is still hopefully a flow to the to the repertoire in the mm -hmm. concert that I think will carry us through, even if we're moving around a lot. I don't know. What do you think, Kara? Yeah, I think I think there's enough through line with the text and um, the story that's happening with the text, and then the spoken word really pulls it all together. Like the way she's written it, it's um, in response to some things and then foreshadowing some other things. So I think that'll really just help with the flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, are all 12 of you in every video or are you just kind of dividing it up between the ensemble members? We're all 12, all mm -hmm. 12 all the time. Yeah. Wonderful, that's amazing. And then we also have four extra singers in our mentorship quartet that are joining us for uh, some of the songs, about half of the songs. Okay, okay, that's cool. And um, so where can people find the beginning of the song? All the details are on our website, musicaintima.org. Um, you can purchase online access. And as you mentioned earlier, it's available for two weeks after the filming date. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook and showing little clips of what's what's to come. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Is there anything you guys would want to mention um, before we go? I think it's, it's going to be a really unique concert experience um and we're not trying to replicate what it's like to go to a live concert we can mm. never do that right so this is a, a new way to look at nine pieces of music that we think are really remarkable and we want to share and hopefully you'll meet someone new in germain even if you've been a fan of intima for a long time or hopefully you'll see a new a new model maybe you're a huge fan of choral music but intima does things a little differently so that's from a from an artistic management perspective <laughs> from a singer what do you want to share um, I think it's just going to be really beautiful and really joyful and it's perfect being set in springtime as well. Um, and we're all just so happy to be singing together, even with masks and socially distant. Um, and I think that's really going to come through in the video. So I think it'll bring smiles to people's faces. Yeah, I think so too. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking to me about the beginning of the song. I'm really excited to see it myself. Um, and I hope everyone who is listening is too. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Of course. Hello, I'm back. A wild side appears yet again. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that show, this show, our show. I hope you enjoyed the interviews and the reviews. We will be back with more. Not next week, but the week after that. Hell yeah, baby! We're having summer shows! That was the update and slash the news that I was talking about in the beginning of the show. We're having summer shows. We're not taking a break this year. Nuh-uh. We're having bi-weekly shows. They're not going to be weekly, but don't worry. You're not going to miss us during... <laughs> Why can't I speak tonight? Anyways, you're not going to miss us during the weeks that we're not having a, 
updated show wink wink because we will be playing our old episodes so we're still on wednesdays 5 to 6 p.m and you can listen to us if you can't listen to us live you can listen to us offline or online i don't know as a podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and CITR.ca. Also, check out our socials, Arts Report CITR on Instagram, CITR underscore Arts Report on Twitter, and Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM on Facebook. We do giveaways, so make sure you check it out, and you can win tickets for stuff. Um, P.S. We might have a giveaway coming up soon, so... Stay tuned. Okay, this has been fun. I love you all so much. I will talk to you in two weeks. Um, Take care. Stay safe, everyone. Bye!